Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to yet another episode. This is episode 183. Can't believe we've done 183 podcasts. And it feels like we've done about half of them since the All-Star break this year. It's... (laughs) I think we've only done a couple, but um, it's it's been an incredible stretch of basketball, I feel like, in these last few weeks. The trade deadline shuffled the deck in such a way that was fantastic. The Lakers have a new team. The Suns got Kevin Durant. Mikhail Bridges is averaging 36 points a game in Brooklyn. Um, the Knicks are unbeatable because they had a Josh Hart, apparently. That's all it took. That's all it took, Cody, for the Knicks to be unbeatable It's just bring in another sort of Tom Tom Tabodian is that a word? Tom Tabodian player who's like six six and runs around and defends and doesn't want to ISO score and whatnot. Um, who am I forgetting? The Celtics added Mike Muscala. That feels the Celtics and the Bucks feel the same. But he, he, they've been part of some great games. The Mavs Suns game was great the other day. Uh, the, the who knows what's going on with the Grizzlies? Bas- basketball is back. It's, it's bad. I didn't know it was gone, but I think what's weird is I feel like every year in March, this is kind of like the hardcore doldrums of the year. Yeah. And I don't know about you. It hasn't it hasn't slowed down. It actually like picked up at this point. So I'm interested to see if and when it's going to taper off or if we're just going to start the playoffs like now. Uh, no, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. The The irony is we've got this play in, right? In the which really is coming into play in the Western Conference because if you look at the Western Conference standings right now, the 13th seed has 31 wins and the fifth seed has 34 wins. So eight seeds separated by three wins. Um, and you know, there's going to be 10 teams that are in the fold. The, the last four will go in the play-in, of course, so 10, 9, 8, 7. In the old days, it just would have been the top eight, and it's the irony is you don't even need the play-in anymore. It just adds this extra layer of excitement and drama in the West because those two teams uh, or those four teams in the play-in tournament will get to face each other off and sort of quote-unquote decide it on the court. I don't know why I said quote-unquote because they will decide it on the court. In my, in my head, somehow a one-game sample size doesn't even count. As being on the court, it might as well be a roll of the dice. But I'm, I mean, every night is just fantastic. And I'm happy the natural order of the universe is starting to take shape. And I think, I think we've got the nine best teams in the top nine positions in the West. And now it's just a matter of sorting out who those are going to be. If you haven't heard, by the time this comes out, people will definitely hear the news. Zion Williamson, another setback with his hamstring. So the Pelicans seem like they're, unfortunately, um, the ship is going down there. Oklahoma City, Portland, and Utah also sitting there on the outside. One of those teams will get the 10th position for the play-in. But um, man, Cody, I mean, these games every night, Timberwolves, Lakers, Suns, Mavs, Grizzlies, any Sacramento Kings game ever, the Nuggets in the fourth quarter, the Knicks in the fourth quarter. Every night I feel like I'm I'm texting you guys. I'm like, just so everyone knows, the Knicks are in a fourth quarter game. It's about to go down. That is the honest, like seriously, every night there's a text from Ben that's like, Knicks fourth quarter. And it ends up being a really good, it's always a barn burner. Like they bring it down to the wire. And that Heat game, I think, is like the apex Knicks fourth quarter, the apex final possession of a Knicks fourth quarter. No, the Celtics double overtime game with Emmanuel quickly scoring 38 points, I think, was wow, the. I forgot about was that. The AP, yeah, they, have, they just have so many. It's, it's hard to keep track. 
I do I do want to pour one out for the Pelicans. I do genuinely feel terrible for that because we talked about them earlier in the season. We were excited about them. Like, that team was really, really good. Their defense was humming. Zion looked nearly unstoppable. Uh, even when Brandon Ingram was out at that point, you know, we were really excited about guys like Trey Murphy the third, who's really come on. And we're like, this guy, like, they have a deep forward position here. So I'm, I'm really sad about that. But beyond them, like the, you said OKC, Portland, and Utah, those are some really fun stories, Ben. Like, Damian and Lillard establishing himself again, or I should say re-establishing himself as a top five offensive player in the league, top seven. I don't know where you put him, but he's been just a flamethrower all season. Utah, Ben, I wrote off Utah at the beginning of the season. I didn't think they'd be competing here. Not at all. And then and then OKC, when Chet Holmgren went down, I was like, I don't know. I think this team's going to, like, is Shea going to, like, ask for a trade at the end of the season? Is this where we're going? But no, they end up being a really fun watch. So across the board, even though, the, you know, they're probably not going to have a chance to make the playoffs. Even the bottom of that group is just really exciting to watch. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, let's move off the Pelicans. They're they're too depressing. Very, mm-hmm. very exciting young team. And it doesn't look like health-wise uh, things are going to cooperate for them this season. Um, man, let's uh, – you mentioned Dame Lillard. Should we just do an impromptu top 10 offensive players in the NBA right now and get everyone <laughs> – mad at us should we just switch the episode and do that <laughs> absolutely this is this is the sort of thing that i want zero preparation for so yes let's let's do it live ben let's do this live we're gonna do it live um well the only thing i really wanted to do is when you said dame lillard top five or top seven i thought in my head like wow who are the best how many great offensive players are there in the league right now there must be a ton and who would i rather have like who's clearly above lillard and then who has a good argument or is in the same reasonable range as Lillard? Is it four players? Is it six players? I have not thought about this at all. I think after last year when we did our top 10 offensive players, that went so swimmingly that I'm pretty sure I haven't thought about top offensive players in the league since. Yeah, I think I think at that time, uh, a certain player was like number three for me. That probably won't be uh, near the top a certain Atlanta Hawk player that I was particularly high on. Really? Did you have him that high? I had him really high. I think I may have had him over Luca and that was a yeah. uh, that that wasn't a good moment for me. We had then. a we but, had we had a big to do about that, didn't we? We really did. And you know, I my criticisms still stand about Luca. I don't know if we're going to get into that today, but I have some I have some thoughts about Luca and I think I've shared some of them before, but uh we're getting off track here. What who do you think is solidly like, for sure. Let's build it this way. Who, for sure, offensively, would you take over Lillard? Jokic. Okay. Um. After that, wow, does it... <laughs> okay, I th- I think Kevin Durant. Yep. Okay, that's two. Um, I still think Steph Curry, although it's getting closer. That's three. And I still think Luka would be four. So that's four players. So that so if Lillard, I mean that's Lillard would be fifth right there. Hmm. I mean I'm sure we could come up with some other guys that are in the discussion, but yeah, when you said top five, I don't think that was, I don't think that was a stretch at all. I mean let's let's stick on Curry for a second. Is it something that Lillard is doing that he's sort of like upping his offensive game this season? Like, do you think he's objectively or just like clearly looking better compared to himself? Or do you see some kind of regression in Steph Curry's game this season? Well, I don't think regression is the right word, but he's a little older. He's been in and out with some injuries. Uh, as I've talked about it a ton, as the league continues to rise, you know, the the sort of 
relative advantage created by his three-point shooting and maybe even his movement at this point isn't quite as large. So I still think you're talking about uh, a fantastic offensive season from Steph Curry. I, I would take him, without super deep investigation, I would pretty comfortably take him as being a little bit better than Lillard. But um, Lillard's also, I mean, he's just been a flamethrower, right? He's just He's just played out of his mind. And, you know, the Blazers... Uh, the Blazers are fun. You said it. Talking about a team just trying to get in that 10th position for the play-in game. But if you look at some of his numbers, especially the hot streak he's been on, Lillard's up to 33 points per 75. Seven percentage points ahead of the league. And I'll check it with our stats team in a second. But I think that's by far his most efficient offensive season that he's had. Portland's 12 points per 100 better with him on the court. And he's like first or second, along with Jokic, in a ton of our offensive metrics, one-number metrics, on-court offensive rating. Like, like the Portland offense is 122 points per 100 with him on the court. It's top 10 in the league. So, yeah, I just think Lillard's had a great season. You know, I'm not comparing it to this this stretch he had. I think that was back in the 2020 season. Do you remember? He had like the six-game stretch, Ben. Yep. He averaged like 48 points a game in that six-game stretch, and he is like 70% true shooting. Obviously, he's not to that level, but something that stood out to me during that stretch was like his ability to pull up from like 40 feet, and he had one. I th- he had one of the more unbelievable threes this season, and it was against the Milwaukee Bucks, right? You know what I'm talking about, the right? The half-court one with like 12 seconds on the shot clock. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it wasn't a pull-up. He He picked the ball up, and he was holding it, and the defense—I don't even remember what the defense was doing. They weren't like super crowding him; they were kind of backing off. They're like, "We're gonna, we're gonna force Lillard to pass it because he's not gonna just take a standstill three. He just turns, squares up, and buries it. And this was probably forty-five feet, forty-five feet, no momentum, just firing it up like that. That was unbelievable to me. Can I ask you something that might be a little hot, Ben? I mean, we didn't plan any of this, so I mean, just—I <laughs> have no—I'm just shooting from the from the hip here. Fire away. Are you 100% sure this season that you'd rather have Luka on offense than Lillard? Uh, in a vacuum or, I mean, on certain teams, I think there's probably certain teams I'd rather have Lillard. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. There's just different I'm, styles of player. Do you want to talk about Luka a little bit? I, I don't. I am. I don't know. I don't know if I want to talk about Luka a little bit. I just. The thing with Luka is I just wish he were in better conditioning. It It is. Uh, it's if you go back with Jokic a couple of years ago, my antenna really perked up. I made this video at the start of the bubble in 2020 called Skinny Jokic. And he's been incredible since. It was a huge jump. And that change in his conditioning, his movement, uh, obviously his stamina, just all that kind of stuff makes such a massive difference. And then I, I've said it many times this season, like the fact that he came into 2023 in even better shape that he's been in the last couple of years and just watching film of him cutting off ball. He's always such a sly little wise cutter when to dart to the basket, um, you know, coming downhill, attacking closeouts, his ability to drive like the dude's seven feet tall. And he's now, no, he's never going to be a, a super twitchy vertical athlete, but he's made that kind of an advantage as part of his skill set. And I feel like Luke is going the other way where you, you've seen him in good shape before. I, I was going back, speaking of the bubble, I was going back and looking at some footage of some pick and rolls he was running recently. And, and in my database, 2020 came up. And I was like, who's that guy? That guy's like been to the beach. He's been doing pull-ups. He looks trim. He's really quick. 
He's got a nice little tan. Uh, that's all I want. I just, I just want that. I just want that period or that season or that stretch of his career where he's in great shape. I love that your like barometer for being in shape and just pulling up is literally doing pull-ups. That's I think that's a great heuristic. Just for some, just some body weight work at the beach. Just you know, do some <laughs> dips and some pull-ups. That's all you got. Climb up a flagpole. You know, yeah. you'll you got, be great. Like, the the bright yellow shorts that are just a little too short, and you're just out there cranking out pull-ups. Maybe running back and forth on the beach. I get it. Like that's a, that's a vibe, Ben. That's a vibe that he's probably not living right now. But he, here's where it stood out to me, Ben. Here's where it stood out to me in this great in this great Maverick Suns game that happened recently. Okay, because I I was thinking about, you know, recently we had our best like young seasons podcast. And for part of that, you know, we talked about how great Luca was and maybe had the best 20 year old season ever. So, you know, I was watching some of those clips from back then blowing by people in the pick and roll, like bursting into the paint for layups and things like that in the past. Now, during this game. He, he catches it, and they don't, you know, the Suns don't even have Mikhail Bridges anymore to, like, lock him down, right? This is, this he, is the game uh, last weekend, right? Yeah, this yeah. is the, the last weekend here. And so many times Luka gets it in his usual, like, high pick and roll or isolation. 25 feet away, he starts Barkleying, right? He just starts backing down his guy, and that's his form of isolation right now. It's just throwing his whole body into the other guy, and I did not see many opportunities where he just, like, straight up tried to blow by someone. His blow-bys were, like, once he starts backing someone down, he spins on them, maybe gets in the paint that way, maybe opens up something that way, but the speed just wasn't there. He relied so much on this physicality that it really stood out to me because I'm like, Every possession, I don't know what the ref they're supposed to do. Is it an offensive foul? Is it a defensive foul? There's just, I don't know. It looked so different from the Luka when he was 20 years old that, you know, I started getting a little worried about that. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Let's go back to Dame Lillard for a second. Um, 28 points per 75 on plus 6%. True shooting and that great 2020 stretch that you referenced earlier. And then I I didn't think about this, but his down year last year versus his bounce back year this year, uh, obviously he had a lot of injuries last season, but he ended up at 24 minus 3% as a scorer. Hmm. And, you know, not in the top 10 in all these offensive impact metrics and, and things that you would typically associate with him. And you come back this season, Cody, that 33 plus seven, that is the best, I think the best relative true shooting percentage uh, that he's put up during the heart of his prime here. Um, yeah, man, I think I think he's definitely, I don't know if there's any other guys we want to mention before we go back to our regularly scheduled programming, our impromptu podcast about the top top <laughs> offensive players. But yeah, he's he's been right up there. He's fantastic. Yeah, he looks great. And it's, it's like the opposite of what I just said with Luca. I've been impressed not with just his shooting, but his ability to get by guys and get to, to the rack to score. There's a couple other offensive guys that I think are interesting. Maybe not as high, but definitely in the conversation. Do you want, do you want to round out the rest of this top 10? Or are we just placing Lillard when in this list and moving on? Um, I just don't want to, you know, if we don't mention the other people, then some sometimes we get angry messages <sighs> from yeah. folks. So yes, to be clear... Lillard definitely uh, has a strong argument for top five and maybe even higher as offensive players. I don't know how many guys I would clearly want 
over him this season. And then, uh, you know, we have to make sure we cover our bases. Are there is there anyone else that we should point out before we get off this topic? How about the Philadelphia teammates? Uh, first of all, Joel Embiid, because I think people would get the angriest if we didn't say him. And then his teammate, James Harden. I think somewhere in the top 10, I think they're both probably in there. Yeah, I mean, I think you... Maybe you could have a healthy LeBron James. I'm trying to think of other guys who you'd want to round out that list that we haven't mentioned, but definitely both those two guys, Embiid and Harden, that's a great call, would also be sort of in that vicinity. Okay. Uh, Anyone else? What about John Morant, Ben? I know know he's out for a period of time. What's going on with John Morant? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he would would be there. I think it would probably be similar to to the names we had on last season's podcast. So... That's a great segue, though, because we don't know how much time John Morant is going to miss. I don't know how I feel about the Grizzlies in general, even if John Morant is there. Um, How many teams... Let me ask you this, Cody. How many teams do you think have a really good shot of winning the West right now? Winning the West. Okay. Well, we were just talking about playing. Do you want, we, could go, we could go bottom up if you, that makes it easier. You just mentioned the Grizzlies. I was just wondering, you know, are they, do, when you look at them, do you think, oh yeah, I, f- I feel strongly that they're in my inner circle Western Conference contenders? I'm looking at the West right now, Ben. I got to be honest. I think, I think my inner circle West is only two teams. Two teams, right? Yeah. It's got to be the Nuggets and the, and the Suns. That's how I feel. I feel like yeah. it's the Nuggets and the Suns. And then the interesting question becomes who would be the third team potential. Or maybe it's just a blob of teams. Maybe you put all all these teams on another line. Um, but I kind of I kind of feel like if if healthy, there's a third team. Well, I shouldn't say there's a third team. I think it's the Nuggets and the Suns and then a tier and then a break. But I almost would create a mini tier for this team. I'm going to do it right now on this show. I'm going to create a mini tier for the Los Angeles Lakers. Because I think, if they're, I think if they're healthy, yeah, yeah, I think if they're healthy, they're kind of maybe the most dangerous of those, of those rest of those teams in terms of actually matching up with Denver and Phoenix. Wow. I mean, I don't yeah, want to put hot. words in your mouth. I think this is a huge departure from how you felt about them before the trade deadline, is it not? Before the trade, it's a massive departure. They have like a okay. new team, though. It's incredible. They have a new team. Um and we'll see. There's still a long way to go. I don't know if LeBron James is going to come back and play at all. So it's completely it's completely contingent on LeBron James playing. It's contingent on Anthony Davis being healthy. But also, it's it's only partially about LA. It's not like I'm I'm going. Oh my God, the Lakers are really deadly. It's more like when I look at the rest of the West. Once we get past those top two teams, um, every this is what makes it so fun. Every team has decent warts every team has weaknesses or flaws or things that could be attacked so if you go to sacramento and maybe we should talk a little bit more about sacramento and circle back in a second because there's like questions about whether their offense will hold up in the playoffs um i'm not worried about that i'm just concerned about their defense and the reality is they're not a great defensive team any way you slice it And the lineups that they play with Sabonis at the center, we've seen teams like that, whether it's Jokic or Nikola Vucevic or whomever, right? We've seen, we've seen teams like that in the past. 
really struggle to even just tread water defensively in the playoffs. And that's kind of what I'm thinking for the Kings. So the question is, how many teams can they outscore? So that's their weakness. Memphis, it might be the other way around. Like Memphis, what can they give you in half-court offense? Um, What kind of shooting do they have? Brandon Clark is out. Is Steven Adams going to come back? Does Steven Adams play big minutes in the playoffs against some of these offenses that they're going to have to go up against? You lose all that offensive rebounding that both of those guys provide. So that's a big question there. Dallas, I think we've talked about Dallas, but Dallas, the questions are on the defensive side. You know, they they lost Dorian Finney-Smith, who, you know, maybe in a vacuum, you don't point him out and go, oh, he's absolutely the best defender for the Mavs. But what he gave them was size and versatility. And so just for instance, in that game last weekend against against Phoenix, you could see it with Durant. They didn't have any big forward to stick on him. And you, and you need the... You need the real, like a real great defensive infrastructure to slow down Kevin Durant. We saw this with the Celtics last year. You need a ton of big bodies and forwards and rim protectors. It's a team effort. It takes a village. But Cody, at the end of the game, man, they didn't have anybody that was tall. They just gave the ball to Kevin Durant. And he's like, 15-foot layup, 15-foot layup. I'll take another one. Yes, please. So... DFS gave them a big forward. He gave them a small ball center at times, and he gave them a guy that could go out and and harass the point of attack, an an additional sort of point of attack defender. So Dallas doesn't have that, and Dallas wasn't even a great defensive team last year, so that's a concern. Um, How am I doing? Should I keep going? Do you want to interject on any of these? Keep going. I'm writing down, and I got notes, Ben. Great. Yeah, write write down all the things I'm getting wrong. (laughs) Um, The Warriors... I, I mean, I feel like we've done an entire podcast on this. I'm I'm just still not seeing the differentiation with the Warriors. They get healthier. It doesn't matter. There's just so much offensive skill and three-point shooting in the league. And they don't have that, like, auto porter. I can just go to this when I need it. The bench last year was so good. The bench this year is is relatively so weak. I think Gary Payton II, if he does come back, another injury health if if he does come back I think that's something that could be a bit of a game changer for them but I just don't think Golden State has the ceiling even if everything clicks like I expect them to continue to win I expect them to be much feistier I expect their team numbers to look pretty good but we've talked about this that's not the same thing I mean even the Knicks just to just to go back to the east for a second even the Knicks in the last month they've got the trade they've played well Brunson's been awesome. Randall's having great first three quarters. Josh Hart is doing. Josh Hart is, you know, seventy-five percent true shooting, offensive rebounds. You got everything going. Emmanuel quickly off the bench. They're like plus nine, plus ten point differential. I just, it's hard for me to see the Warriors easily generating a stretch like that. Where in the old days, that was sort of their um, mode of operation, their 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 standard baseline of operation. Then you get next team on the board right now is Minnesota. And Minnesota's actually pretty good. They're they're pretty fun to watch. Like this version of Minnesota without Carl Anthony Towns, I love the battery of Rudy Gobert, Jaden McDaniels, and an engaged Anthony Edwards on the ball. Those guys defensively, uh, I think have really helped them close out some games in this stretch in the fourth quarter without Carl Anthony Towns. So they're solid, but do they have enough offense? 
especially without Towns? Does it work entirely defensively in the playoffs? How do you, you know, do they need to restructure things around Gobert against certain small ball teams? Just also, how fast is their fastball? Like how how hard is their is their best punch? It's it's solid, but I don't think it's elite. The Clippers we've talked about. I don't I don't know if the Clippers could guard a phone booth right now. <laughs> um, what's the, what's Los Angeles's defensive rating in the last month? Can we pull that up? That's my concern so, with the Clippers. Yeah, the Clippers' defense in the last month, just like it's being beamed into me here, it takes a, it's sometimes a little bit of a lag because it bounces up to a couple satellites. It has to go to space. It goes to like to Mars and wraps around there and comes back, and it takes a second for it to come back. But when you get the defensive rating for the last month, 121, Ben. Well, I'm sorry. 100, did you say 121? 121. And they're not the worst. They're actually the fifth worst defensive rating in the last month. Who's behind them? Well, you have the Houston Rockets. Right okay, yeah. Portland Trailblazers, Indiana Pacers, and then the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. Oh, boy. The Kings and the Clippers destroyed each other's <laughs> defensive rating by playing each other twice. Um, so, yeah, is that that's pretty much everyone. I think we covered all our bases. And then you get to the Lakers, and the Lakers... There's question marks about their health that we mentioned. There are some things about the team, I think, when you get into matchups and you get a little more nuanced that are interesting. You know, um, Jared Vanderbilt, who, of course, we love around here and think should have a statue outside the Staples Center. Um, you know, he's he, he and Anthony Davis on the court at the same time. I think I texted you this earlier. Very small sample alert. Very small sample alert, but it's... it's uh, it's enticing. They have played, what, 179 minutes together. The defensive rating, Cody, on that lineup is 102. So that's almost 20 points better than the numbers we were just talking about with the with the Clippers and the Kings. They're plus 12 outscoring teams by 12 points per 100. Very small sample alert, but I, I only looked that up because when I watched them together, I'm like, man, man this is just... This is this is defensive nirvana. These two guys flying around the court, giving it their all, protecting the basket. Uh, Anthony Davis grabbed like twenty-two rebounds last night. Pretty sure he broke his nose on a. Got, David David Roddy lit him up with a with a cross, getting one of those rebounds. So maybe you add LeBron James to that. His his communication, his defensive IQ, that becomes very compelling. But then the question marks would become like, well, can you play Vanderbilt? and Anthony Davis at the same time, because as much as he tries, Anthony Davis is kind of a non-shooter at this point. And Vanderbilt is decidedly a non-shooter. And there's only so, there's only so many non-shooters you can have out there. Um, they actually have Dennis Schroeder. He creates his own warts himself because he's he can give you some isolation scoring. He can push a little in pace, but he's not a great defender or sort of... Um, pilot of the offense so then you bring in D'Angelo Russell he would be another injury question mark he comes back from injury gives you more shooting and maybe more playmaking but maybe you lose a little defensively so the the pieces don't cleanly fit together that's why I don't think LA is like a top five team in the league or has that inner circle western conference bravado that we talked about but man once you lay out once you lay out three through nine or three through ten Oh, this is it's it's March Madness is what it is, but we have to wait till April. That's an incredible amount of parody. That's it, you know, give a, giving a little bit more context here. You said when Vanderbilt and Davis are on the court together, one hundred two defensive rating for for context. Like 
The Memphis Grizzlies have had the best defense in the last month, and it's 109. So it's seven points better per 100 possessions than the best defense in the last month. And I know I don't know if you ever saw this, but once upon a time, a few years ago, there was a Twitter account that was like, don't compare lineup data to team defensive ratings. And it was like this dog and it would like bark at you if you tweeted anything comparing these things. I know I'm committing that sin right now, but I'm just adding some context here. So don't, I I get it. I know how numbers work. So don't freak out at me about this. But the thing (laughs) I like about Vanderbilt, the, the idea about them, like having some spacing issues with both Davis and Vanderbilt, couple things. Number one, defensively, we've talked about this before with like the five and the four, but they're actually a little bit different than the pairings like Brooke Lopez and Giannis or Jaron Jackson and and Steven Adams, right? Because those teams, they have just like the plotting rim protector. Of course, a really strong defensive player in their own right and can, can change a defensive scheme. Anthony Davis is different. This is the reason we've been calling for Anthony Davis to play the five is because he is so flexible while providing that rim protection ability. And then Vanderbilt... I mean, I don't think he has the, the rim protection abilities that like Giannis or Jaron or or Evan Mobley or these other fours that can play the five are. So they're like they're like a, a just a shade smaller than those, but they have so much more defensive flexibility that's I don't know, it kind of feels like the way of the future. It's like the dropless big big man along with the flexible four. I really like that combination. But with the spacing thing, I think Vanderbilt's been really good at cutting to the basket, he just creates a couple of opportunities for himself, A, from the offensive rebounds, but B, just being like, this is the opportune time to run at the basket, and someone's going to hit me with a dump-off pass, and I'm going to get the dunk off of that. So I think he provides his own kind of spacing in his own possessions that way. I'm not saying it's going to be flawless, but uh, I don't know, kind of like Rodman with the Bulls. I feel like he could just kind of create his own opportunities in this space where these other guys are going to suck up all the oxygen in the room. I was just about to mention Dennis Rodman, Cody, and you beat me to it. Because I'm not going to say when you include like big men who are incredible rebounders that Jared Vanderbilt is the best rebounder since Dennis Rodman. But I mean, there's a little Dennis Rodman in his rebounding is an extraordinary rebounder. And some of that is from exactly what you just described, where he has a great feel for cutting into space, sitting in the corner, and then crashing from the corner, where you can receive the pass as a cutter, but if the shot goes up, he's he's there, and he's athletic and wiry and slippery and has a great feel for the ball, and he's keeping plays alive. He's a guy who does a lot of great little things like that. And then he's also a really nice extra passer. And he's athletic enough and fluid enough that even though... You know, he can't really generate his own offense at an NBA level. If you hit him in dynamic spots, like in transition or cutting down the lane, he can take a couple dribbles and then throw a beautiful pass to hook up a teammate for an easy shot. So we'll see how it, we'll see how they figure it out just in terms of his minutes and the lineup rotations. But it's a fascinating defensive combination, as you mentioned, because it's not like rigid, big, um, you know, rim protector, along with fluid, bendy, switchable guy. It's these two guys together who can just create terror. LeBron James comes back. He's the ageless wonder. He's 6'8". He's 6'9". That's where I think the really interesting element of this team lives. Like, what, what could their defensive ceiling look like if they're healthy and they move forward? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy 
happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Can I ask you a really big question about Vanderbilt? This this is a big one that you might be like, I've never looked into this, so we'll have to revisit it at some point. I thought you were going to ask me about Wenyon Gabriel, so I was ready for the (laughs) Wenyon Gabriel question, but I'm not ready for a a Vando question. Fire away. That dude shows off some defensive chops sometimes. Like, he'll send some balls back into the second row, and I'm like, oh, I like this. This is some flashy defense. Um, But I'm thinking about Vanderbilt, because I'm thinking about trying to coexist next to some, some huge load guys like Anthony Davis or LeBron James. When you have somebody like Jared Vanderbilt, when you think about a ceiling of a team, right? Because playoffs are small sample size. Sometimes people have big games and their actual value in that specific game is much higher than they actually are game to game. So when you have somebody, like let's say Vanderbilt has this huge game, like, you know, nine offensive rebounds, a couple of steals, a couple of blocks, some extra passes, but doesn't take anything off the table with with shooting. But he also doesn't add anything with his like self-creation scoring or anything like that. How much can a player like that, how much value can a player like that reasonably add at a high level in a single game? I think I think a decent amount. What what I mean, are you thinking there's some hard ceiling is that the spirit of the question um, let, help help me answer it by telling me where it comes from so i think it's coming from from like when you think about somebody like jared vanderbilt on a game-to-game basis you might not necessarily be like oh this guy's moving the needle multiple points per 100 possessions right but he might have a couple of those games because i think I people see. might think yeah. like oh so-and-so could hit 10 threes and they just swing the game but he's going to do it in these other ways where he doesn't necessarily move the ball so how much can a guy actually move the needle in a single game yeah i i mean i think he has games if i'm understanding where you're coming from i think he has games where in the 25 or 30 minutes that he's out there he'll just have massive impact if you go back to the golden state game the other day he played 24 minutes in that game he had 10 points 13 rebounds in, in 24 minutes, it felt like he was everywhere. Four assists. Now keep in mind, this is not a primary driver. So this is this is kind of like extra passing, that connective tissue stuff we talked about earlier. Ends up with one steal in the box score. But, you know, sometimes in 25 minutes of Jared Vanderbilt defense, you get three, four, five, six huge high leverage plays. A steal or two might be a pick six. I think within that framework, a single game in the playoffs could be extremely valuable for a player like that. Whereas then you go to the next game or the next series and he might not have as much playing time. He might be played off the floor. He might have a matchup that isn't as um, sort of friendly to his skills. And that's where you say like, okay, overall, this player isn't moving the needle too much. But I think when you have a role player, a sixth player, a, a fifth starter, whatever it is, with that kind of very unique skill set, and some value that uh, 
is pretty high. We talk about blue belts and brown belts and black belts. Like he's got a black belt or a brown belt in some relevant areas that aren't too sexy in basketball. You know, you're not seeing him on Sports Center. He's not dropping 35 a game. But when Jared Vanderbilt goes on a defensive heater and it's in conjunction with, as I said, Anthony Davis has a backstop, LeBron James out there, whoever else is giving good defensive minutes for the Lakers. And all of a sudden, in a league where everyone's scoring 115 or 120 points per 100 possessions, they're down at like 105 or 108 for the game. That just makes everything so winnable all of a sudden because you don't need to have a great offense. You can you can live with some subpar shooting. And they've actually upgraded their shooting after the trade deadline. So that, that's that's kind of my take. I'm, I'm really excited to see how this plays out in the playoffs because I could see matchups where his minutes go way down and I wouldn't be stunned. But I could also see a matchup where, you know, he feels like the player of the game or something. And you look up and you're like, man, Vanderbilt. They went to overtime. Vanderbilt played 37 minutes. He was just incredible. It feels like the the direct analog, and it's not saying that they're going to be a championship-level team, but they are, if they are, he could be at this level. But it reminds me of Gary Payton II with the Warriors last year, where it felt like, like watching them play, you're like, this guy's providing a lot more impact compared to how good I actually think he is from game to game, right? And I know you and I are both very high on Gary Payton II because, of, like you said, some of the unique impact things that aren't necessarily sexy when it comes to Sports Center or or highlights or NBA's YouTube channel or something like that. But I just feel like you go across time with these with these high-level teams, there's always seems to be a guy like this that within the, the structure of what they're required to do, they do it at such a high level that it can like bounce back and forth and explode up to a point where it's like, wow, we didn't expect this sort of impact from you yeah let me flip let me flip it and ask you a question Cody okay um I went through about nine or ten teams in the western conference I don't know if for posterity you want to touch any of the teams in the eastern conference but to me in the west I think we both agree you've got that top two where we might disagree a little bit is I almost feel like I feel like if there's a wild cardy team it's the Lakers then we maybe could spend a little time sorting out the rest. But, I mean, I went through a ton of teams and some some weaknesses there. Is there any you disagree with? Is there any that you say, like, actually, I think this team's so strong in this area that it doesn't matter? You know, maybe the Mavs offense is so good that it doesn't matter. How, how do you see this shaking out after hearing me go through that? When it comes to wild card stuff here, man, like I think I said it when the trade first happened. But I think Kyrie and Luka in a single series is going to be a duo that's just really difficult to scheme for. These are two guys that are more or less like scheme proof on the same team. So it's like scheme proof squared, so to speak. Like, I don't know what you're able to do about that, but I'm just, I don't know. I'm concerned about what I saw from Luka, right? And I think that's the one thing holding me back because I think this is probably the first time in his career where I would say he's a clear negative on defense which I didn't think was always the case in the past, and it goes back to what we were talking about with conditioning and stuff. So there's my concerns about that, because I do know that when Kyrie's like inspired and feels like he has something to prove and wants to showcase himself in a new position that he can really you know, get himself to a high level, it, 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 I want to pick them as my like third place, sort of a, a heater team. I'm just not 100% sure. Hmm. The King, I, I just don't know if we're giving the Kings enough credit, Ben. And I think a big part of that is I don't know, like they play with such great pace. And is a team going to actually be able to slow down that pace? And I don't 
know the answer to that question because they have such a good dynamic offensive system. This is why you're here, Cody. Uh, we have to talk about the Kings' pace. So I, I think there's this sort of thought that if you play fast in the regular season, that it's easy to slow you down in the playoffs. But if you actually look at data historically for this, we have gone back and you know gone through all the fastest teams, not just by overall average number of possessions, because overall average number of possessions includes your defensive possessions as well. So if you just focus on offensive pace, where the Kings are at the top of the league, playing very, very quickly, pushing it, pushing it in transition, pushing it off makes, whatever, um, those teams, they don't have a huge hit in offensive rating when you get to the playoffs. They slow down a little bit. The league as a whole usually slows down a little bit. So you go a couple possessions slower over the course of a game. But there isn't some trend where it's like, oh, do you know the seven seconds or less Suns played really fast, but then they got in the playoffs and they got slowed down a lot? It's more like maybe one year they got slowed down, but they had a ton of postseason success. The Kings with Rick Adelman when they had Chris Webber and Mike Bibby and all those beautiful t- Cody's Cody is chefs kissing right now. All those beautiful teams, Peja Stojakovic and Hito Turgaloo and and my favorite Bobby Jackson coming off the bench like a microwave. Those teams played quickly, and some years they fizzled out in the playoffs, and some years they continued to have really good success. And so overall, you know, you might say like, well, you could expect a little bit to change because you can slow a team down a little bit on average and maybe you could take away a little bit of their offensive effectiveness but there isn't some huge pattern so just the historical precedent just so everyone knows isn't this this sort of idea that I hear perpetuated a lot that like if you're fast we just automatically slow you down in the playoffs so that's part one part two for me with the Kings is that when you actually watch the possession to possession, as we've done so much uh, on the YouTube channel this year, and we've talked about on this podcast, the cross matches and the speed at which they play and how organized they are and De'Aaron Fox's just actual speed as a human and Malik Monk's actual speed and Sabonis cheating and playing that five and giving up a little defense, right? Like you you have to do something about that. I don't think that's automatically going away in the playoffs. I think the thing that might help in the playoffs is you get some days off between games. You won't have back-to-backs. You won't have as much travel. But if you game plan for this, if you get a week to prepare and your staff is looking at this film after after staying up all night with some late-night sweats, you know they're going to wake up the next day and they're going to be like, okay, what we have to do is we have to be really buttoned up in our transition defense. Well, to some degree, that means you're giving away something on offense, because if you want to keep both shooters in the corner in a spread situation, those shooters always have to be ready to sprint back or lift up as the play is coming. If they crash to the basket, if they cut like Jared Vanderbilt, because no one has Jared Vanderbilt's motor and speed, if they cut like Jared Vanderbilt, then they are exposing themselves for the Kings transition, even on a make. And so I think you could try to take away some of the Kings transition, but then you yourself might be giving a little bit away offensively. I think it's just this push and pull that exists where outside of just some bad shooting, I think the Kings are going to be pretty good offensively in the playoffs. And so that creates its own thing of like, well, how many teams can they beat that way? I try and think of it like from, like you said, from a defensive coordinator's 
uh, position? Like, what what are they going to be thinking from their perspective? When I think about the Kings, they just kind of, like, transcend the idea of how you'd go into a playoff series. Like, I feel like the conversation, whenever you go into a playoff series, you turn on ESPN or whatever, and they're always like, oh, so-and-so is going to stop so-and-so. They're going to slow down so-and-so. But there is no individual so-and-so to stop with the Kings. Well, first of all, I just don't think anyone can stay in front of De'Aaron Fox, right? I think you can defend De'Aaron Fox. You can make him uncomfortable, but he's going to get by you. He's going to get into the paint. And then you can figure it out from there. But, you know, you can obviously put a good defender on them, but he's going to blow by it. But I think another key part of this is, like, how do you defend a dribble handoff? Like, how do you defend the DHO actions that Sabonis runs when you have shooters like, and I know he's kind of tapered off a bit, but Kevin Herter, you have Malik Monk who can catch fire. Fox, again, even if you can stay in front of him, you can't. You can't catch up to him if he gets by you on a DHO and then gets downhill that way already. Like, I I just don't know. When I see that team and we're talking about maybe a third tier or a third level of a team, I'm not looking at any defense and being like, yep, they're going to have a a good time against them. So, (laughs) man, I don't know. I think the Kings team is going to maybe be my most fascinating watch when the playoffs start. It's funny you landed on that last point uh, because I don't think it's going to be a good time playing them at all. But if you look at say, half-court offensive efficiency, right? I believe the Kings are, if you look at first first possession, half-court offensive efficiency, they are right at the top of the league. Yeah, I, I just pulled it up. They're second. They had been first for a lot of the season, but they're second if you use synergies tracking of half-court possessions and whatnot. They have a 109 offensive rating on their first attempt which doesn't include offensive rebounding. The Kings are, I mean, the the Mavs are first. So we are, we already covered one of those teams, right? I think the fundamental difference between these two teams as playoff wild cards, as matchup tricky sort of uh, opponents that could pick off teams and advance a couple rounds and whatnot, the Mavs to me are built to sustain their offensive efficiency in the half court. I think we've seen this with Luka throughout his career. And I agree with you, by the way, that uh, his conditioning and some of his defense recently has been uh, a, a definitely a concern and looked like a bigger problem than it has in past seasons. So we'll see how that plays out in the playoffs. But Sacramento, they're still fantastic, fantastic in the half court on offense. And I wonder if you could maybe that's where you can take away some of what they're doing, because you know, does Kevin Herter, do Malik Monk, do these guys have the experience and kind of the fortitude? Sometimes in playoff situations, what happens is the opposing team and the opposing coaching staff shines a spotlight on you. And they go, actually, you're going to need to make 12. You know, we're going to leave you open for 12 threes and you're going to have to make them. Harrison Barnes, ironically, went through that with the Warriors in 2016. I think he's a veteran now and a better shooter. I actually think Harrison Barnes is a guy that could be a real nice sturdying effect for Sacramento in these half-court possessions. But this is where it comes back to Fox and Sabonis. Fox and Sabonis are your two best offensive players. They're your drivers of everything. If you can't take away that Sabonis dribble handoff game, if you can't take away Fox's speed, and the biggest if for me, Cody, if Fox's jumper is still going, then I think it's going to be tough to really take away the Kings' offense. On the other hand, if you blunt the tip of the spear, if you take away one of those things, if you just go, okay, De'Aaron, you're going to have to hit 20 jumpers. That's how we're going to play. We're going to change how we play everything. We're going to sag into the paint and you have to hit a ton of jumpers, and he can't, then I think that's a way I could see Sacramento's offense fizzling out. But I'm not 
sold at all on the idea that you're going to take away their pace in their transition game. You know, shout out Harrison Barnes, man. I'm glad you said that. I feel, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to call myself out here. I always say everyone else's name, and he is just a steadying veteran presence. He can isolate. He's a big body. He can switch around. He can shoot. He's just, he's a solid guy that's been in trade talks for a while, but he actually ended up on a good team, and I love that for him. But I'm looking, like, let's pretend the playoffs started today, Ben. If they started today, the, the Sacramento Kings... And we're not worrying about the play, and I'm not going to play that game. They're gonna, they'd be matching up against the Minnesota Timberwolves. I, I hate feeding into this narrative, but like Gobert going against like the Sabonis pick and roll, dribble handoff sorts of actions. I just, it's hard for me to imagine that, even if with like a locked in Anthony Edwards and a locked in Jaden McDaniels, maybe those are two really good defensive players that would be able to handle it more. But I think that the Kings would do a good job of of nullifying Go- Gobert almost, right? And then after that, if they make it past the Timberwolves, which I would pick right now, I think they would. I think what? They would play either the Suns or the Mavericks? I'm getting really ahead of myself here. This is is amazing. Keep going. If we're we're talking the Dallas Mavericks, Ben, right? Like, those are two strong half-court offenses. But Luka and Kyrie chasing people around in a seven-game series? I, 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 I... I don't know. I don't want to be reductive, Ben. I genuinely don't. I'm just trying to pose it out there that I think that would be really tough because the Kings would be like, all right, let's run these guys into the ground. And I know Reggie Bullock is is a great chaser. I think that's one of the things he's good at is running over screens and and, and chasing them down that way. It all depends on if, if Kleba's actually playing, you know, but again, he's not going to be somebody that's chasing him around. That's a really bad defensive matchup for the Mavericks, you know, all of a sudden, I don't know. I don't know. I'm speculating too far in the future, but I just, I love this Kings team, Ben. Well, I think what you're getting at and maybe putting some some clarity on is that there are clearly some matchups in the West where you're not going to be surprised at all if the Kings win. You might even go in and favor the Kings. There are some nice matchups that they could get in the first round and then in the second round, whether things become trickier or not, because is it, is it Phoenix or Denver? Are they on the same side of the bracket? Maybe, maybe that's to be determined. But if we look at our board that we share, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball for subscribers, uh, one of my favorite things to look up is performance versus top 10 teams, right? It's, it's a small, it's another sliver. It's a small indicator of what to expect going forward. Dallas, again, has the best offense in the league against top 10 teams. They have a 118 offensive rating against top 10 teams. The Kings are right behind at, at fifth, uh, in fifth, excuse me, at 116. So I just don't see this sort of, you know, we're going to get into the playoffs and Sacramento is automatically to be dismissed. I think I think they still have some bite to them when we talk about these second tier teams in the West advancing, getting getting favorable matchups, so on and so forth. And, you know, going tying this all back to what you're saying about the Lakers, I get it. I think it's really hard to quit a team that has a locked-in and healthy LeBron and a locked-in healthy Anthony Davis with a nice little infrastructure. You know, Malik Beasley's shooting. We we waxed poetic about Jared Vanderbilt. Like, you know, I'm, I'm talking like 19... I don't know where I'm going with that, but we can write poetry about, about Vanderbilt and it wouldn't even... It would pale in comparison with how great he is out there. I think it's tough to imagine that team being worse than a Kings team. Like, it just feels weird to be like, oh, yeah, this Kings team that hasn't made the playoffs since, like, LeBron was in the rookie in the league is going to do really well with all these players that don't really have playoff experience. I think that just feels a little bit wrong. And I admit, I think that's kind of catching me right now, too, because I'm like, I just haven't seen it. I don't know how it's going to work. 
But I think even if they had like one year of experience, I would be a lot more sold on this Kings team. Who needs experience? <laughs> Who needs it? You've get you've got you've got uh, you've got good basketball players. Harrison Barnes has experience, and Kevin Herter has a little playoff experience. He's got a little experience. Mike Brown and that coaching staff has experience. I understand what you're saying though, because I think we haven't seen it. And yeah. when you haven't when you haven't seen it yet, it's it's harder to buy into. The thing I'm saying I have seen is and I and I saw this recently on some YouTube comments. People think that in the regular season, no one tries on defense. And I would say it's the exact opposite. I think from game to game, the intensity level and the focus and even game specific game planning are higher right now than they've ever been in the history of the league. If you turn on a 1995 regular season game, it's vanilla defense. You don't have to do anything complex. If you turn on a 2015 regular season game, you'll see big men yelling at each other about, was I supposed to go out and guard Steph Curry on that three? You're not supposed to go under a Clay Thompson screen, right? I think I'm supposed to go over a Clay Thompson screen. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. It wasn't that bad. But the point is, now you turn on a game in 2023, teams are running hard, they're sprinting into actions, defenders are just panicking about communicating at the level that you'd see in like the 2016 finals or something on a regular Tuesday night game in Madison Square Garden. And so I think the thing that's going to change defensively in the playoffs, if I had to guess, would be similar to what we saw last year with like shrinking the floor and changing how you gap the pick and roll and, you know, I'm going to dare players to shoot, that kind of stuff. But I don't think the effort is going to change. And therefore, I don't think there's some magical button that you can hit that's going to stop Sacramento. I don't think there's some magical button that the Golden State Warriors can hit that will make their defense really, really good all of a sudden in the playoffs. Um, And that's why, in a way, the fact that the Lakers have shown some of the flashes that they've shown defensively while also, at least in theory, having the infrastructure now to have a passable playoff offense, right? The thing you said at the top of the show about my feelings toward them, they built a team around LeBron James without any shooting. And now they at least have some shooting, right? Um, Malik Beasley can shoot a little bit. He can shoot a lot if you let him. Austin Reeves... I don't even know what Austin Reeves' three-point percentage is, but he feels like a guy who can like play down the stretch of a game and do things. Were you going to jump in with his actual three-point numbers? No, no. Okay. No. Um, but like, they at least have that. And so I think if you look at the second-tier teams and who's dangerous in the West, that's, that's the promising perspective for Los Angeles. I'm looking at the top now, Ben, because we, we just talked about those couple of tiers. If you had to pick out of your top tier, if you had to pick someone to come out of the West, one team to come out of the West, who are you thinking right now? Oh, the Denver Suns. <laughs> okay, so in all seriousness, no, like we have, we've seen only a couple of games from the Suns. They've looked, they've looked solid. Kevin Durant is really good at basketball. We just listed him as one of the best offensive players in the league. Chris Paul is, is looking slower. Right, I, he's definitely looking slower, but Devin Booker, I think Devin Booker's taken a little bit of a leap. I think he looks better than than last year, and I think the combination of both him and Durant is is pretty incredible. And even when you have Chris Paul out there, like that's man, like that, that's a high level of leadership and someone that can run the floor still. What do you see as like a main weakness for them? Oh, that's a great question because I think both of the top teams have weaknesses as well. 
they're just better in other areas than all the teams we talked about. So for the Suns, and I think we'll do more content on the Suns. We might have a, uh, a video coming up on Phoenix at some point this month once they play a few more games together after this trade. But defense, to me, is a little bit of a concern in terms of like, do you have an open and shut each series they play in? You know you're going to trust their defense. Not really. Not for me. Part of that is Chris Paul getting older. Part of that is some of Kevin, you know, people talk about Kevin Durant's defensive strengths and he does have some really, really nice defensive strengths, but his awareness and some of his ability to kind of read plays and dial in focus off ball has always been a defensive weakness. So you get a few of those guys on the court at the same time. Sometimes it's not great. So that's one part of it. I think they don't have, because of Paul's age, they don't necessarily have this like triple-headed, all these guys can make plays, look out on any night, you have three of them coming at you. It's more like two of them, and both Booker and Durant have similar weaknesses in terms of on-ball decision-making, but also just execution is a better word. Because sometimes it's not even decision-making with them. They'll both throw kind of soft passes that get deflected and tipped. They they both struggle a little with pressure if you put two big bodies up them on them in the pick and roll and at the point of attack. So I think there's that. And then the last thing is the depth, where I still want to see more games. But I know I know you guys, <laughs> among the, as you like to say, among the thinking basketball intelligentsia, you were um, not, not excited to see Ish Wainwright, you know, getting big minutes down the stretch the other day, just in terms of, in terms of the depth for that team, what does that say? Uh, I would like to see more to see kind of how they how they figure out some of these lineups. Couple of things on that. First of all, like I think that dude, I think Ish Wainwright, he finishes a game, he goes straight back to the locker room and just hits some strict military presses. You know, I'm talking like locking out, just goes until his deltoids just explode off the shirt because that dude is just he is massive up top. I would love to know a strict press max. It's got it's got to be some of the top in the league. It's it's incredible. Um but I, that was my concern with them offensively. Is I felt like there were too many other guys corner threes during the Mavs game, right? And that was a game I was most closely watching, but there were a ton of there was three of them. It was a Kogi, it was Wayne Wright and uh Oh, who's the third guy? Tory Craig? I think Tory Craig was the other one that was being left in the corner. And, you know, I think there's some interesting things they could do. Like, what if even, you know, they tried to adjust there a couple times where I'm like, I wrote it in my notes. I was like, well, what happened if if when Kevin Durant and Chris Paul are doing something over here, we have Devin Booker in the weak corner? Like, how would that do? It didn't matter, right? The Mavericks would still double team Durant. They would keep Booker locked down, and then wherever Wainwright or the other two guys were, they would leave him wide open for a three. And I think that's going to be, like you said, really interesting to work out in terms of uh, figuring out some new offensive sets. Yeah, I think that's going to be a thing. Um, Denver, we've talked about Denver, where, you know, what happens defensively. I think the other thing with Denver offensively, as great as Jokic is, what happens when he's on the bench and can you get if you if you get ramped up Jamal Murray and you get another playmaker and creator and primary ball handler that you can stagger and play like that um, I think that's such a difference maker so if they couldn't get that next level I think that makes them a little bit more vulnerable offensively in addition to some of the defensive question marks so even that top tier to me it's what makes the the league and especially the west this season just so fun so fun and so fascinating Cody, we got to get out of here. We're, we're over on time. Should we do an impromptu top 10 league pass teams right now? 
Wow. Yeah, absolutely. That's how we have to finish this. Okay. Um, in no particular order, because we're talking about all these Western Conference teams, and, and that last comment about Denver made me think of this. Like, Denver's a great watch. All these teams we're talking about today. Denver's a great watch. Sacramento's a great watch. Phoenix has become, and now I have to, I have to watch Phoenix to see what's going on. They're incredibly compelling. You could maybe say the same thing about Dallas with those two guys to see how they're going to figure it out. Golden State's always a pretty good watch, and who, you know, who knows what's going on there? Maybe, maybe it's the same thing. Maybe you've seen too much of it. I don't know. I, I love me some Minnesota Timberwolves second half defense stealing games. I mean, these, and and now I think I kind of feel like you got to. It's a different it's a different speed but the Lakers the Lakers are really compelling there's a there's a ton of fun teams in the Western Conference to check out. All right, so I I may have missed a couple but from what you said to me, I I have I have the Nuggets, I have the Suns, Kings, Mavericks, Warriors, Timberwolves, Lakers. Did I miss someone in there? I think that's my I think that's my Western group the the Clippers for curiosity's sake you could put in there but mm. uh I don't I don't love watching the Clippers system as much right now. No, they're not they're not exciting to me. Even though Kawhi had that really nice stretch, like you said, like tough shot making, Kawhi is really, you know, that is must watch TV, but like there's only so far that can get you. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have anyone from the East before we get out of here? Ben, there is one team in the East, like before all others. I don't even care. I don't even care. They're on. I want to watch them. Do it. Do Orlando it. Orlando Magic. Listen, Markel Fultz the other day had the underrated play of the season. I forgot who was dri- I don't even remember who they were playing. Someone's dribbling it up. He sneaks behind him, strips the guy, immediately throws a behind-the-back pass for, I think, a Bancaro layup. Like, when you talk about the value of a play, just completely stops the possession, near half-court, behind-the-back, no-look pass for this layup. It's it's incredible what these youngsters are doing, and I they're the top of the list for the East for me. I, I apologize to everyone listening. I uh, apologize to the tri-state area and uh, the state of New York, because it, it's got to be the Knicks. Come on. we They're just, they're too fun. I, the Knicks Cody. are the Knicks are really fun, but don't you sometimes just get a little frustrated? Just a little frustrated with them. You just got to watch the fourth quarters. That's the key, and you gotta you gotta buckle up. It's like going on a roller coaster. You don't know where it's going to take you. You don't know if that thing's going to fall off the tracks, and there's going to be a lawsuit involved. You have no idea. Indiana is also. I always forget to watch Indiana, and then I get in an Indiana game, and I'm like, man, do I like do I like watching Indiana? This 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 goes down really really nice. Um, if you want to support this show, check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That's the best way to support us directly. We have our live monthly Q&A coming up on the 25th this month at the end of March. That's always fun with our Discord community. Um, patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Thanks as always for listening all the way through to this one. And of course, wherever you are, I hope you're having. You know, maybe one day I should not do it just to see if these people who leave the show, they think we have it. That's what they're telling me, right? Once we get the outro going, they they leave the show. They don't want to hear any nuggets at the end of the outro. Um, maybe I've, we got to think about this. We got to put the, do we put the outro earlier in the show? I don't know. We'll come back and figure this out. In the meantime, hope you're having a great day. <laughs>